Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. I am doing a podcast today on the subject of grief and death. This was a topic that was recommended by a listener, and so I wanted to cover it. And actually, honestly, I'm so happy people are listening that if any topic is suggested by a listener, I'm probably going to do it. So this is a podcast on grief and death, and Ultimately, an aspect of this podcast is going to be very personal because of my own experience, and I'm going to relate that to you, but I'm going to start with reading you a quote. This is from a book called Awake in the World, Awake in the World by Michael Stone. He's a Buddhist teacher, and he happens to have died a few years ago, but um, in his book, he has this passage on death that I wanted to start with. He said, in death, there is a kind of shift. One thing ceases and another thing starts. Of course, we're not functioning in it, functioning anymore as the wave in the water. We become the water completely. We move back into the elements. In death, we give completely until we are not functioning relative to the whole. We are the whole. Coming and going, like life and death, are irrelevant phases when we are fully in our lives. The sunset does not die. It becomes a sunrise somewhere else. So, I really like that. I think he's he's challenging us to think of death in a different way. Death is, I mean, obviously, it's a fundamental part of life, and we know that most of our maybe our whole lives, or at least as soon as we start learning things, we learn about death. And we spend a lot of time avoiding the subject, or we spend some time pretending it's not happening because it's sort of scary, right? And also, I think it's one of these human universals. It's one thing that we have in common with everyone else on this planet. We're all getting older, we're all getting sick, and we're all going to die. And in addition to that, we're also all losing our loved ones. Every one of us is losing our loved ones, and that affects us in two, in several ways. But the one obvious way is that, of course, if a loved one dies, we miss them. But then a secondary way is when a loved one dies, it's kind of like a part of our future dies. Because our potential future where we were going to interact with them is gone. We have a new future that's completely independent of this other person because they're not going to be in our lives. And I think we really struggle with that at times. And maybe we have trouble putting a name on that, but that's what it is. It's the, it's a potential future going away. And even if there are times when we lose someone that we're not even all that close to, and we still have a lot of grieving to do. That happens all the time. And that's, again, that's because of that potential future. Even if we don't see someone a lot, we were probably going to see them and have some interactions. And those, uh, any opportunity is gone. 
And to a degree that uh, functions in other things as well. I think that when you get a divorce or when someone moves away, that creates um, a potential future is gone, but it doesn't have the finality of death, right? It doesn't have the same finality. I'm going to tell you something personal now. And that is this. Uh, When I was 14 years old, my father was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And they attempted surgery to take his stomach out. And when they cut him open, they discovered the cancer was too widespread. And there was no chance of defeating it by taking his stomach out. That taking his stomach out was going to be a greater risk than just leaving it in and blasting him with chemicals. So that's what they did. They left his stomach in. They sewed him back up. And this is, uh, if you know anything about cancer, that's kind of a pretty common thing that happens with stomach cancer, actually. So they sewed him back up and they sent him home and they got him aggressive chemotherapy. And I don't know. I was 14 years old. I don't know if it was like stage four stomach cancer or stage three. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter for the story. What matters is that he lived and he remained with us for 11 months. And then he fell into a coma and then he died. And so anyway, why am I telling you this? My dad was gone and my brother was away at college. He's fully an adult. So it's just me and mom in the house at that point. And the fact is that at that time, and for many years after, I didn't have the tools of meditation practice that I have now. And I didn't know how to talk about impermanence. I didn't know how to talk about any of this. And that's going to come into play later in the story. And my mother uh, had no idea how to handle it, right? Had no idea how to help me. And she actually had, I have a friend, a childhood friend named Jason and my friend Jason's dad also lost his father uh, when he was a young teenager, a teenager or a kid. So my, my mother actually had my, okay, I hope this isn't confusing. My mother had this guy, his name was Bill Downing, had him come and just talk to me about his experience losing his father. And he uh, he didn't ask me any questions. He didn't ask me to share. He just told me about his experience. And that really helped me. I think that it's really helpful to us when other people tell their stories. At least I hope so. And that's why I'm telling you my story now. Because Bill Downing told me his story of losing his father at a young age, and it made it a little bit easier for me to take. As easy as it could be, I mean, you know, it made it a little bit easier for me to take losing my father. And he said, I'll never forget. The biggest thing he said to me was that when he lost his dad, he didn't cry. His He felt sort of numb instead of what he expected, which was, to feel devastated. He just felt sort of numb, like the world was in black and white. And that resonated really well with me because that's what I felt. I didn't cry when my father died. I just felt sort of numb. It felt more unreal than tearful. 
So, um, we'll go forward in the story a little bit. So I go through high school without a dad. And after high school, I go to, I went to community college. I went to Johnson County Community College. My first year in college, my mother was diagnosed with lung cancer. She, uh, she had been a smoker in her earlier life in her, for many years, she had quit smoking before she got lung cancer, but I guess she quit too late because she got lung cancer and they said it was inoperable. So really it was the same thing. She, I don't, her treatment wasn't exactly the same. But she, I mean, she got heavy treatment, chemotherapy and radiation, I think. And she also had an oxygen tank. A big square thing that went in our living room and it's got cords that go in her face, in her mouth, in her nose, in her face. That's gross. And really long cords so she could go anywhere in the house. But she was hooked up to this thing all the time when she was home. I have a really big memory of uh, one night when the machine suddenly stopped working and we had to call and a guy had to come, you know, a, like an emergency visit to come check on it and fix it. And by the time the guy had got there, it had come back on. So it was really embarrassing. But that's uh, a really vivid memory in my mind. So anyway. Less than four years apart. Less than four years apart. My dad died. My mom got cancer. My mom died. So there I was, 19 years old, first year of college. Don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Don't feel ready to be an adult. And there I am. There I am. My mother had planned for this, so she set up um, a trust fund for the life insurance money to go into so I could finish college and have that paid for. And that was that was very nice. That had an impact on my life. But I was just a wreck, and I didn't, I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't. You know, I didn't have a breakdown. I didn't explode. But man, I was just numb and sad and broken. Or I felt broken. And, you know, um, I really, I struggled in college. I almost dropped out of college because my grades started slipping. Just because I was, I mean, I was sad. So I went away to college. I went to KU. Kansas University, and I think that people that know me from that period, especially people that have not known me since really, probably would see me as a very, just a very sad, a very irritable, a very depressed all the time, morose person, because I was, because I was a very negative and pessimistic person, because I was carrying all that weight, and it's only in more recent years, really, that I've, I've learned that about myself, that I was carrying all that weight, that 
it deeply affected a large part of my life for a long time. So, so it really, it really had an effect on me. It really made me a negative person and I've only become a positive person in recent years. Some people say that college was the best time of their lives and uh, that was not my experience. I was just, I guess I was just grieving the whole time or at least most of it. And that kind of, that grief sort of infected all my relationships, right? It was always there. I was always grieving and struggling. I didn't have anything to help me get through it. And I couldn't even, I tried therapy two times and uh, both times, like I was not willing to open myself and talk. I, I struggle with talking to someone I just met anyway, but I was not willing to open myself and talk. So I think that therapy was always going to be a struggle. And, uh, so yeah, that's my story. And I didn't, I didn't have any tools to deal with that. And I sometimes think, well, I wonder if I had meditation practice, if I had training and attention, if I had the Buddha's teaching on teachings on impermanence. Would I have had an easier time? Would I have had an easier time? And I tend to think I would. And I tend to think. I wish I knew then what I know now. So. Like I said, the most helpful thing to me was. And it even, I even was able to reflect on it after my mother passed. But the most helpful thing to me was Bill Downing came to my house and just talked to me about his dad and how his dad had died. And that, that helped me because it made me feel like I'm not alone because his experience was like mine. And the truth is, none of us are alone. None of us are alone. We're all dealing with this exact thing. People we love die. People we love die. And, and then they're gone. Or at least it feels like they're gone. And... I could give you an answer that says, well, we can take comfort in this or we can take comfort in this. But I really wanted to tell my own story instead of doing that. Or before I do that, actually, because I do want to say we can take comfort in a few things. One is reminding ourselves that we're not alone. 
we're all in this together. And I wish we would remember that when we feel like being mean to each other. I wish we would remember we're all in this together because I think that when we have conflicts with other people, it's sort of like having a fight inside a burning house. Sort of like having a fight inside a burning house because you're, you're in it together. You're burning together. We're all burning. There are diverse views on this. Uh, some people like to say that when you die, your spirit goes somewhere else or when you die, your spirit's born again or things like that. And I, I have no opinion on the subject. I don't. I don't. What I know is that when you die, I don't see you anymore. However, that said, there's another way we can think about this. And I'm going to read to you from another book. This is called No Death, No Fear, and it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, if you're struggling with death or grieving, I recommend, this is a book I recommend for sure. But he wrote this about when his mother died. He said, walking slowly in the moonlight through the rows of tea plants, I noticed my mother was still with me. She was the moonlight caressing me as she had done so often. Very tender, very sweet, wonderful. Each time my feet touched the earth, I knew my mother was there with me. I knew this body was not mine, but a living continuation of my mother and my father and my grandparents and great-grandparents. Of all my ancestors, those feet that I saw as my feet were actually our feet. Together, my mother and I were leaving footprints in the damp soil. From that moment on, the idea that I had lost my mother no longer existed. All I had to do was look at the palm of my hand, feel the breeze on my face or the earth under my feet, to remember that my mother is always with me, available at any time. I think that says a lot. Um, and I wish I had had a book like that. I wish I had had access to teachings like that uh, when my father passed away and when my mother passed away. I do think, if I'm really honest about my journey, I do think losing my parents led me to become a seeker, which led me to doing this thing I'm doing now. So I see a direct cause and effect relationship there. So what uh, what is Thich Nhat Hanh saying? He's saying his connection to his mother, thinking about that connection, reminds him that she's not really gone. If we shift our thinking, we can come to understand no one's ever really gone. And that's really hard to tell ourselves. 
No one's ever really gone. If, and I could even, okay. So in the case of his parents, it's very obvious, right? And our parents, it's very obvious. My parents came together and they created me. I have a lot of their traits. I have their genetics, genetics, right? But I think it applies even beyond that. I think that the people we interact with help shape who we are. And that doesn't just apply when we're forming, when we're young in our formative years, but really other people influence us all the time for, for good or ill. We are shaped by people all the time, by big interactions and by little ones. So in that sense, no one's ever gone. No one's ever gone. And in the Michael Stone book I read from earlier, he said, we're not waves anymore, we're the water. That is a common way of describing human beings in Buddhism is no self. That is our identity is not as solid as we think it is. And we tend to think we're separate from everything else. And there's a description in Buddhism of people as waves in the ocean. So the ocean is everything and we are waves and we come out of the ocean and we exist for a while and then we're gone. But we're always part of the ocean. We're never really separate from it. We just tend to think we are and we tend to think other people are, but we're all part of the same whole. And if we can think of that, if we can shift our minds and think of connectedness, connection, interbeing, the way we all influence each other and relate to each other, if we can turn our minds and reflect on that, I think that can help us with our grief. And... We've just got to remember that if you're thinking about them, if you're thinking about someone and how they influenced your life and how much you love them and the events you shared, then they're not gone. They're not gone because no one ever goes. No one ever goes. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.